With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Jokic behind his back. What a take by Jokic. Your sitter. Wow. Gentlemen, to the Pickaxe Funded Show. It is 4 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. I am Zach Nagash, DenverStiffs.com. This is, of course, a your weekly dose of the Denver Nuggets here on Nothing But Net Radio. Uh, today with us, we have first down in Colorado Springs. It is Mr. Gordon Gross. Gordon, what's up? Not much, man. Glad that uh, we're on the weekend and uh, ready to talk some nuggets, which sadly is go. not the playoffs, but that's okay. We'll survive it. We are just uh, we got we're just kind of like killing time for for a few weeks. But hey, we'll talk some NBA playoffs like we have been these past couple of weeks. Um, also joining us now for for his his second appearance on the Pickaxe Pundit Show, it is the ever dignified Brendan Vajete. Mm. Brendan, what's happening? <laughs> What's going on, man? I'm doing well. Gordon, I would like this to be noted on the record. It's my second appearance, so keep the rookie jokes maybe like down to a minimum, you know? All right, man. <laughs> I, I can I can wait it out. I'll see if you wanted anything from the first time, and otherwise uh, it will be all right. This just goes to show that Gordon doesn't actually ever listen to the show, except for maybe when he is on it himself. So, Oh, well, I can't listen to myself talk. Defense. You can listen to yourself talk? No way, man. I don't listen to myself talk at all. Like, I record this and then press the nuke button and, like, you know, delete it off my machine and we're done. There's no way. See, I have to, because because I edit the show as well, I have to uh, I have to listen to it at least. Uh, at least and one, I have to listen to it because I'm a narcissist, you know. Because he's just vain. Very, very vain. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um... So, uh, if if other of you people out there have actually been listening to the show, uh, unlike Gordon, you will uh, you will note the uh, the format will not change this week either. We are going to do uh, continue with player evaluations. Uh, we finished up with the starters last week when we did uh, what was it, Wilson Chandler and uh, Paul Millsap. So. Now we are on to the bench, and uh, first off, I think we're going to get to the two the two biggest bench players uh, of the season. Certainly, the two 
that the Nuggets would hope would be the biggest uh, have impact off the bench. And that's going to be Will Barton and Mason Plumley. We're going to break down both of their seasons, talk about uh, uh, where whether or not it was uh, you know a success or a failure, and then uh, then some interesting stuff, especially I think about Will Barton and uh, his upcoming free agency. So that will be the first half of the show, and then in the second, we are going to do what we always have been doing these past few weeks. We'll check in on the NBA playoffs, uh, even if even if the Denver Nuggets uh, are not there, as Gordon uh, so so duly noted. But um, we will. I want to talk about Dwayne Casey, man. I think that's crazy. But there, and, and we also, I think everybody notices is noticing the uh, parallels, of course, between Dwayne Casey, of course, getting fired by the Toronto Raptors. Uh, a lot of people noticing those parallels between uh, his firing and, and, and George Carl being fired back in 2013. Uh, so we were well, and I don't that. think that's that's unjustified either, man. Like that, it's terrible because they're he's a good coach. Like Carl was a good coach, but we're going to talk about that. I I'm actually curious to see how that goes. What you guys think? Absolutely, absolutely. And then of course, conference finals, they are here. Uh, so we will we will do a quick preview of those two conference finals uh or at least at least we'll uh we'll talk about who we think is going to win we're not getting to that but i love your ambition <laughs> I, know. I know we have gordon that's why I'm, I'm not trying to sell it too hard because i'm like well, i got gordon on the show and uh we know we know that it'll at least take us 30 minutes to get through the first uh, player evaluation so <laughs> we'll <just laughs> see how this goes um so let's not delay let's let's get right at it uh let's start with will barton Will Barton, this is his, what was this, his fourth season now with the Nuggets? Um, this year, this year maybe more so than any, uh, I thought he, he had the most impact on on the Nuggets night in and night out uh, and was a more of a major for better part or worse. Of, of the rotation. For better or for worse, right, but it was a, I mean, a major part. He had to, I, I'm not even looking at the stats, he had to have averaged a career high in minutes. Uh at least minutes per game. We led the team. I know that. So we talk about him yeah, not being right. a starter, but the man led the team in minutes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I mean, he, um, his his biggest season so far, and in a contract year as well. So that's uh, that that's certainly a, an interesting aspect of it as well. Uh, if you guys, as you guys know, if you've been listening to the show, we we kind of been breaking down the first part of these evaluations and and just kind of a, a high level view. You know, was it a uh, the season as a whole? Was it a success? A failure? Uh, or just kind of par for the course. For me, when I look at Will Barton, I man, I think it's and, and it's funny because I think Will Barton gets a lot of he gets a lot of grief, right? Because of like like we said, you, I mean, you kind of you live or die uh, uh, by Will Barton. Um, but I, I would still I think he had a successful season. To be honest, I think this was his best season as a Denver Nugget, um, and and that because of that. Uh, they were able to win. I think there, there are more time you win more games with Will Barton than, than you lose because of him. Uh, Gordon, I, I know you're, I can feel you itching at it, like right through, uh, through the screen on my computer screen right now. Uh, so I want to give me your thoughts, uh, high level view, Will Barton season. Man, uh, Will Barton gets a lot of grief for what he's not. Like that, people want him to be more than he is, but for what he is, he's great. I I wish that he could just be the sixth man, the bench heater, the guy that um, when you need somebody to go ahead and and take control of a game, you know, uh, is willing to attack the bucket. You just hand him the basket and say, go go do your thing, man. That's why you're on the court. A prime Jamal Crawford. (laughs) 
right? That's like where you want. That's your your ceiling. Yeah, for yeah, yeah. Prime Jamal Crawford, exactly. Now the problem you run into is that the Nuggets don't use him that way. Right. The Nuggets use him, especially this year. You said it's his most successful year. I would consider this to be not the best use of Will Barton's talents. Um, trying to use him as a point guard, trying to use him um, off the bench as a as a one, a two, and a three. That's not really his game. Leaving him in the in the game for defensive purposes, like it, these are all not things that you necessarily want to do. Although he has a wide skill set, um, you remove his ability because he runs out of gas at the end of the game. Man, he's playing forty minutes. Um, you watch him. He says he doesn't get tired on the basketball court, but you can watch him get tired. You can watch his legs start to go. Um, and you also watch him as a point guard. Um, I, I, if there was a drinking game for the number of grenades that he tossed people with like two seconds left on the shot clock <laughs> for them to go ahead and chuck it rather than him chucking it, I would have been drunk all season. Like there's <laughs> that is, He's not setting people up, man. That's like, whoops, hot potato, have a nice day. Um, that and that's not his fault. He is not man. a point guard. Right. Yeah, it just—he's not a point guard, man. So there's there's nothing that the Nuggets yeah. spent the whole year searching for a point guard and never found one. And Will Barton is not it, and that's really the failure of the the team to plan for him and to allow him to be what he's good at and not what they need, which is are two different things. That's well said, Gordon. I I would just say that like it's not the the problem is how they use them. The problem is that they had to use him that way, right? They didn't right. really have a lot of options. And so, like you said, for lack of a better alternative at, at backup point guard or, uh, you know, Emmanuel Moutier, in other words, uh, he had to play right. that position, you know, or fill that role. Uh, I think he was absolutely sort of fatigued, stressed out, um, had trouble finding his rhythm because of the fact that he was stretched thin in terms of filling multiple roles. He alluded to that multiple times in the locker room throughout the season, especially the second half of the season. That said, right. I think it was Barton's best year of his career, not just the best year as a nugget. You look at it statistically, he took on the most responsibility that he has in his career and he was as productive and as efficient as he's ever been. And for all the, you know, the, the rough turnovers and you're, like you said, Gordon, those sort of grenades he's tossing people, he did have a very good assist to turnover ratio. And other than Nikola Jokic, he had the most assists per game on the team. You know, that can be kind of a flawed stat, but, you know, there are very, very well, few Well, it's also people... an indictment of the rest of the point guards on the team, the rest of the guards, yes. period. Yes. Well, there yeah. are no point guards on the team, right? Devin Harris in, no. in the back nine of his career, he's an off-ball guard. And Jamal Murray's a Jamal scoring Murray's guard, a but he's certain. Guard. Yeah, he certainly doesn't have those traditional point guard skill sets. So, you know, I, I think it was a, a very successful season for Barton. I think where he fell short was symptomatic of being asked to do so much. So that reflects more poorly on the Nuggets season than it does his. And I think that's why he gets so much crap from fans, because they're looking at all the things that he failed to do, which are not actually in his skill set, and got very angry with him. He's he, he's a very much a lightning rod in the in the Nuggets Fandom he called himself community. the. He calls himself the fall guy, right? He he's very aware oh, yeah. of his status. Yeah. But again, right. a lot yeah. of guys don't want to take the last shot. Barton will take the last shot. Like a lot of guys don't want to drive into the paint when it matters. Barton will drive into the paint when it matters. Right. Like, it, it, 
that fearlessness hurts him sometimes, but also the passivity of the rest of the players forces Will to do that. I there's a there's a place for Will Barton either on this team or on another team in his correct role where he will shine. He will be that sixth man and be even more consistent than he was this year. I just don't know if the Nuggets will use him in the fashion that would allow him to do that. I think it's worth noting though that that none of this withstanding, it was an an objectively good year. He averaged 15 5 and 4 on 45% from the field. Only 12 other guys in the league did that, and that sounds like a sort of arbitrary benchmark, but the point is, of those 13 guys, about 10 of them are Hall of Famers, I mean, are All-Stars, and 9 of them are future Hall of Famers. The only other sort of fringe role-player taxi guys besides Barton are Tyreek Evans and Chris Middleton, who obviously fills a starter role. So there are very, very, very few sort of six-men taxi guys, utility guys, that can, like, to produce at that level you're usually a starter and you usually clear that ball that bar easily. So Which rather is why than Will's going to want to get paid. Yep. Y- yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, I agree. That's he should he should be feeling that way about himself right I'm now. Not, I'm not against he, it. Yeah, yeah, take your money, man. You earned it. Yep. And and for the funny thing is is you say, you know, Will Barton uh it's funny that we talk about him as a bench player uh, as well because uh when you look at it he he played 81 games this year. He started 40, so that means he came off the bench for 41. Yep. Uh, you know, so he uh, he almost was, actually was uh, the, uh, a starter for this team. He's and, and you guys are right. I mean, the, the production you get out of him, um, it, uh, that's what I was trying to bring out. Like I, when I was saying early, you you win, you're going to win more games because of Will Barton than you are going to lose uh, games. Because of Will Barton, but I do agree with what you were saying, Gordon. There about like this is a, this year he was he was misused more more so than any other year. You know when he really shined. You think about it, it was it was really two years ago um, when he came off the bench uh, almost entirely the entire season. Uh, and I think it, he might have been. I mean, he was certainly like top five in the in the six man of the year voting. I think he might have ended up third. Um, that year, and that that that's kind of the Will Barton you really want. Like we're talking about that guy who comes off the bench uh, and, and is this this sort of you know kind of supernova uh, scoring scoring punch guy who could still also end up you know you think about a guy like uh, Manu Ginobili who did that his entire career um, and still ended up playing thirty plus minutes a game. You know, so that's you still get starter type minutes. It's just you're filling that uh, a little bit of a different role. But but I I think Will I mean. I guess just looking at looking at okay, is he going to be back next season? Um, I think he wants to be a starter. I like like you guys are saying. I, not, I don't think I know it. I mean, that he will will said that plenty of times. Um, and why wouldn't he? But the Nuggets do. There's a chance that they're going to actually ask him to be a starter again, and this is what concerns me uh, because I think they they might ask him to be their starting small forward. And then once again, you're putting him in a role that really, uh, that really isn't, uh, isn't at his strong point. So I wonder that I wonder if if, if maybe it's best for all parties. Uh, if, if if Will if I can just jump in though, Zach. Yeah, I I I do think he can succeed in that starting small forward role. I do think obviously right. you would be looking at um, some defensive issues. And that's uh, that's going to be the case no matter who you plug in for the Nuggets. But... <laughs> right, um, but at this point, I think yeah, the Nuggets best and defensive of... issues are, are simultaneous. Yeah, that's they go together. Right, and and I just think that at a certain point, the best version of the Nuggets in 
includes the best version of their offense and their half-court offense. And when you plugged Will Barton in for Wilson Chandler in the starting lineup last year, because Chandler started, because Millsap was injured, we only got 65 minutes of sample time there. But that's an offensive rating of 125 and a net rating of just under 33. It would it would never hold up that way across major minutes. But Barton has improved as an off-ball threat every single year while increasing his attempts per game from deep every single year for the last three seasons. And I think that's really important for this Nuggets team. Uh, Wilson Chandler really wasn't spacing the floor. He was not an effective spot-up spot guy. And going back to right. our earlier point about the lack of a point guard, when you have Murray in there instead of Jameer Nelson, who's less capable of getting the ball to Jokic at advantageous positions as a passer in the middle of the floor as a role man in the high post, it, it, like that spacing is cramped more than it was last year. And so I do think, um, for lack of a better option, because the Nuggets are not going to be able to add talent, really, besides retaining guys this summer, mm-hmm. starting him at the small forward is your best option of like spacing the floor, unlocking that offensive juggernaut that you had a year ago. And so to me, that might be worth it, despite the defensive worries. The... One would understand. Well, and the, thing, the thing with him also, he wants to start. He's talked about, oh, yes, yeah. you yeah, know, I, I, I want to be a starter. Um, and so I don't know that the Nuggets can sell him on BR Manu if he wants to start. And right. it, so you run into this situation. Uh, the problem that the Nuggets had when Barton was starting was the bench was like a dumpster fire in an outhouse. Yeah. Like yeah. there was – you had Wiles, okay, but you had nobody who could get Wiles the ball. You had nobody who could you know, run anything. Devin Harris showed up for a bit, and that was okay for a minute. You know, uh, but that's not a long-term solution either going forward. Um, so you run into this problem of who's going to score off the bench, who is going to be your off-ball threat. You don't necessarily want Will to be your on-ball, you know, handler, um, but he can do it. He can, he's he's like the secondary ball handler. That's fine. Um, but you run into a problem if you pull him off the bench and you have all of your scorers. You have Murray and Harris and. Um and uh, Barton all in the starting lineup. Who, who's jumping to the bench when the bench that's needs a real people concern. to score? Yeah, that's a real. You know, it's concern. not going to be Beasley. It's not going to be right. whoever your point guard is because you need somebody. You can't have a scoring point guard. You need a guy who can actually pass the ball. Um, unless you get a really good bench point guard, in which case that guy's starting. Like otherwise, right. you might as well just you know put Jamal Murray on the bench. So you're stuck. Uh, the problem is if you if you start Barton, you need another Barton-like person on the bench, and unless Beasley grows incredibly over the summer, um, you don't have that guy on the team. And like you said, there's not a lot of room for outside additions, and you're hoping to go get some sort of decent, survivable, true point guard um, who can at least pass the ball to Wancho and Wiles and whoever else is on the bench. You know, because right now we don't have that guy. That guy does not right. exist, and the bench without Barton was abominable. I don't have the numbers. <laughs> I can pretty safely say abominable. Yeah, right. No, um, no doubt. No doubt. Let me ask you guys. So I want to ask you, you, you guys have, this. Though. You have this conundrum with him. What's I was, that, Zach? I, well, I want to ask you guys this because you kind of almost have both hinted at it. So, what? What? What is? What would you be okay with the Nuggets paying? Um, to, to retain Will Barton. Gordon, I'll ask you first. 
You're asking me? That's not good. Um, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> look, man, the problem is they don't have the money. Like, right. It, Other dominoes have it, to fall first. Yeah, yeah, you got to move, guys. Okay, like, so if you say, can move, so let's say no. You, let's let's say Wilson opts out. If Wilson opts out, what do you pay? What do you pay for Will Barton? Um, Wilson's contract. You See, know, that's you're looking what I would at like, well. like he got. Yeah, I think it's like yeah, you're four for years, three or four years, and like fourteen million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Something like that. I, think I, would, I would be fine with 11, but I don't think he'll take it. Like, that's the problem. Like, we offered him, or at least uh, the only, the only thing that they could have offered him as an extension was, yeah. what, about $12 million a year, uh, four years? Yeah, it was just about that, Gordon. And I, I think it's going to take $15 million a year uh, for four, like something around there. I, I just think someone is going to cough up for Barton after the year he just had. I, I, I would have paid him what, what Plumley got, man. Like honestly, I'd have given him three forty-two. That's fine. Like you could have right, survived with right. that um, for the length of time and the the amount of money you're dropping. You could have survived that. But now that Plum we got it, you don't have it to give anymore. Right. It's very true. That's true. So uh, I don't. I, also, don't know. I just don't know how you make it fit. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, man. you're gonna have to like even if Wilson opts out, right? Which obviously is the first domino that needs to fall here before we know anything. You're still gonna yeah. have, like assuming you're declining Jokic and then. Um, into restricted and, and extending yeah. him. Yeah, you still have to like do some extraordinary work dumping Farid and and Arthur if you're going to avoid a very hefty tax bill, right? And like those aren't going to be straight dumps. You're probably taking some contracts in return and like I I so like what I'm getting at is I think if you're willing to retain Barton, you have to be willing to pay somewhere between like 11 to 15 and you have to be willing to go into the tax. So that's what that's what I'm like. My hesitation. I can't see ownership doing that, but I, you know, I'm not really privy to that type of decision making. Right. Yeah. It's well. It's hard to see because there, there, there clearly will not be a contender uh, in, in in any way next season, um, unless a bunch of guys. Not you talk about Malik Beasley. Well, you can't like bring also, back the same team without know, without Murray, Wilson Chandler, Pierre and then be like, well, here's our contender. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And, so, and, it's we'll, tough and we'll to, go it's into tough. the luxury tax. Right. Yeah. It's tough to to. Uh, justify going into the tax uh for for a six seed at best you know what i mean so it's but that's the problem because if you don't go into the tax and you lose barton and maybe chandler opts out i think you've taken steps backwards yeah unless you unless you you do some magic in the draft and somehow get up uh get up uh, you know you'd have to trade up in the draft and it's hard to imagine someone wanting to trade down uh when they've got that talent available like it's so, it's hard right, to look at a team who missed the playoffs by one game for two straight years, a team that has very little cap space, and say, yeah, if fifteen five and four wants to walk, we're cool with that. Like I don't know if you can afford to just let him go, but I don't know if you can afford to retain him either. Right. Yeah. It's it's tough, well, and the man. problem it's, they it's, ran it's, into it's, was they were if if they had had the opportunity to if if Barton had missed time, for instance, and Beasley had gotten into twenty five thirty games of real minutes. Maybe you could see what your Barton replacement would look like. This right. is the same problem they're going to have with Trey Wiles. Is that what is Wancho? Well, he sat on the bench behind Trey Wiles all year. Well, how equivalent are they? I think they're pretty equivalent, but you got to be really sure because you're going to have to pay Wiles, like not this coming off season, but next off season if you want to keep him. Um, they aren't going to have the money for that if they extend Barton. So if you don't, ex- if, or if you pay Barton. 
So if, if you pay Barton, you have to be already ready to move on from somebody like Lyles because you spent his money on Barton. Like, you, the Nuggets have a lot of dominoes that they have to drop, and they don't have enough information on real NBA game time because they're 17 deep and they had no room to play all these guys that they're unsure about but who need to be the next generation of guys to make sure you can afford your stars. But they don't have any right. space to work with because they gave a backup center $42 million. <laughs> it's just that, that is absolutely correct. Which is, yep. which is brutal. a beautiful segue into... Mason Plumley season. Ha ha. Why don't we just? <laughs> it's almost. It's almost like you planned it, Brendan. I like it. I like it. You're a pro. <laughs> pro here. Uh, all right. So let's 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 shift the page to Mason Plumley um, because, like you said, and that, I want to get to that contract that Duke's. It's it's the elephant in the room when in, in any Mason Plumley conversation. Um, but going back to kind of that that high level view, uh, success, failure, uh, par for the course. Mason's the one I have probably the hardest tough or the toughest time um, placing. I don't. I I certainly don't think his season was a failure. He um, he gave the Nuggets a lot of a lot of impactful plays. Uh, He gave them the only thing they had resembling any sort of uh, rim protection uh, this year. He uh, he. It wasn't his fault that he again kind of like Barton. He was misused. um, I think for for good portions of the season. Uh, you know he he one of the grittiest guys on the on the team, uh, and, and he had the as we know he had a I, I forget what they called it. I they they they're not calling it a sports hernia, but a, what was it? Some sort of just abdominal injury or something like that. Some sort of weird. It's a sports hernia. They're just not calling it one. Right. That exactly. That's that's what I was thinking too. I was like, it's it, it sounds like I was like, it, it certainly sounds like a sports hernia. It looks like a sports hernia. No, they're euphemizing it. I don't know why. They're they're just deciding that euphemisms are more fun than like here's what's actually wrong with our guy. He has an abdominal injury that required surgery, but that he could play through all year. It's a sports hernia. Right. right. So, I I guess if I look, I, maybe par for the course, but maybe even maybe even, I mean, there's a lot of success I think for for Plumlee because I I here's the thing I I I I. I you, you have to kind of take the contract out of it when you look at Plumlee. I mean, I know you can't, but if you're just trying to evaluate what he did uh, for his season, you know, for the role that he was in, that he was given, uh, I thought he performed that that fairly successfully. Uh, Brendan, I'll go over to you, though, man. What, what's your high-level high, high level view of, of Mason Plumlee's year? Man, it's... It's un. It wouldn't be fair to say it was a failure, right? Because he didn't have an awful year for a backup center with an injury. I thought he played all right. right. It's just right. I wrote about this uh, before I moved to Denver when I was still with Dig in Denver. Actually, I was worried that the perception of Plumlee was going to be tied to this contract and the Nurkic trade, especially if Nurkic had put together another monster season this year. And it's just it's it's not fair because. No, like the athlete's not going to say no to the contract, and Plumlee right. isn't Nurkic, um, and he shouldn't be asked to be. So I try to use that lens when I look at Plumlee. You know, just looking at his play in a vacuum, isolated from those factors, I thought it was a, a, a par for the course season. Um, I just wish they had maybe used him a little more as a passer, especially off the bench. Like I thought, the idea in signing a guy like Plumlee was that. You just had as many versatile and and passing like skilled passing big men as possible, so you didn't necessarily have to radically change your offense in those three minutes, like in the first half right. towards and the end of the first quarter. That, 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 that point guard, that right? like I was saying that like Gordon was, but they don't have, have a point have guard, that, man. 
Right, because if they, but the idea is like you could have used Plumley, but keep going, Brandon. Right. Yeah, right. but that's that's where they went wrong. Like that was that was their issue was that Plumley ran a ton of pick and roll in with a really good point guard in Portland. He yep. ran a ton of off ball stuff. He could be a secondary passer. Um, yeah. of the ball, and that was great. But the problem is when they played him, he only ever played with either Jokic or whatever traffic cone was playing the point guard position, man. Like, you, <laughs> they didn't take advantage of Plumlee. They needed a bench point guard to get the most out of him, and they didn't have one. So you spent $14 million a year on a guy who needs a point guard so that he can work off of um, and who can't necessarily play extremely well next to your starting big man, and you used him as a four, and you used him without a bench point guard. And, and those are that... two things that you can't do. And it reduced him offensively from this multifaceted and skilled big man to a guy who is a horrific post-up player, p- popping Random out two to three post-ups dunker. a game. Yeah. Yeah, like he was posting up way too that like that should literally never happen and he was hanging yep. out in the paint when Jokic, you know, and not the dunker lane just in the paint when Jokic was trying to get the ball down low. And it's because he didn't know what to do with himself because they weren't they weren't playing him the way he should be played, the way they signed him to be used. And so that was one of my issues with him. Um, with, well, and they overpaid you know, him, so they season. felt like they had to, man. Like that was they're like, well, if we're paying this much money for him, then he can't just play 15 minutes a game. We've got to play him 25 minutes a game, and that's where you yeah. run into trouble because now all of a sudden he doesn't fit the role that you have because he can't work with the other guys on the floor. And I, I just think I think you hit the nail on the head that part of hit like the suboptimal use of Plumlee, a large part of that is tied to the lack of a point guard in either unit. I think you're spot on with that. What's tough, uh, like, I, the, the difference between Jokic and another good passing big man is that Jokic can work without a point guard and, in fact, might actually work better without a point guard. And Plumlee cannot do that. Like, that's the difference between Jokic and, quote-unquote, a passing big man, is that Jokic can handle all of the pressure, all of the responsibility, all of the looks, um, everything involved in being a three-dribble handoff guy that then has to pull up and shoot an open three. And that base of Plumlee will never be that guy. Yeah, I agree. The difference between good and great is small, but dramatic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I think you're both like, like, like Brendan was saying, you're, I think you're spot on with the, uh, um, with the point guard comments. The, the other thing that I think really makes it tough with Mason is because you have, like, he has a lot of skills that can be used, um, and can be justified playing him 25 uh, minutes, 25, maybe even up to up to 30 minutes a game. But when you have Nikola Jokic, it, you you are going to, and you as we saw that time and time again in the season, if you put him next to Mason Plumlee, um, you you certainly take away a bit from uh, from Jokic's skill set because that's that's when we see him kind of be end up being that Jokic who just kind of goes goes into stands into the corner. Um and, and and just kind of waits there for the and and watches what what happens while while Plumlee runs a pick and roll or um or or struggles in the at the at the elbow um and and it so it's tough to justify that contract right because you're paying this guy fourteen million dollars a season or yeah a season and you can't really play him more than I mean at, at like twenty minutes max even. 
uh, probably going to be somewhere around like six, fifteen, sixteen minutes a game. Um, and so then I want about I mean, a million like, a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so is there? I mean, it seems to me like it's almost impossible for him to live up to that contract. He can't. Uh, he cannot live up to that contract, and and that's that's not his fault. That's not his agent's fault. But it's going no, yeah, to make it to very agent. tough because. Oh no! Great job. In fact, I believe Connolly afterwards said, "Well, his agent knew his value on the open market, so we eventually just had to pay it." Was the paraphrase of what he said, and that's a lie. And they the. Oh, it just frustrates me that the Nuggets refused to use leverage to pay a guy for the role that they needed him for and instead paid him like he was on some team without Nikola Jokic. Um, right. It's it's one of those very frustrating factors, also compounded by the fact that he plays the game exactly the way that Michael Malone wants it played. Right. Which means that you have a coach who's like, well, my backup center does what I want. So I'm going to play him more minutes because he does what I want, even though the numbers bear out that what he wants is not as effective as what else is happening when Mason Plumlee's not on the court. Right. Um, right. So you run into a problem of of efficiency versus you know eye test or um, you know practice uh, effort or you know veteran grit. Like Mason has everything that a coach would love, and yet not the same impact on the floor for his contract. But both the front office and the coach want him to live up to that contract, and they're going to let him play more, which seems to be detrimental to the Nuggets uh, when you overuse him. In the same way that they overused um, Will Barton, they overused Mason Plumlee. Even though he only played 20 minutes a game, uh, he was overused for what the Nuggets need to be doing on the floor to be successful. Right. Yeah, it's, it's it's so funny. There's, there's so many parallels between Will Barton and Mason Plumlee, and especially, uh, again, I mean, Mason Plumlee almost as polarizing as Will Barton, maybe as polarizing as Will Barton uh, when it comes to players on, on, on the Nuggets. And it, so much of it, I think, again, is, is, is just, it's a misuse of his talent um, that just kind of puts him in a position where he's not really, it's going to be much more difficult for him to succeed. And, and and therefore, you know, he he, he doesn't play at, at a highest of levels, and and it, he can't get the minutes he needs, and and he doesn't end up living up to this contract. It just it's so weird well, to say like a guy. Too, is that... I was saying it's, it's what's what? really weird. A guy making fourteen million dollars a season, and you're like, oh man, this is such a a tough situation for him. Well, it's just the other problem that you run into is that Paul Millsap could play center. Yeah. So if you wanted to go small ball, you don't need Mason Plumlee for that. I have Paul Millsap for that. Right. Um, one of the interesting things about uh, Trey Wiles is that uh, as a really skinny small ball center, the Nuggets were pretty effective in those minutes. Like, right. you have these other guys on the team who can fill the role that he has, and he cannot fill the role that they have. Um, which means that maybe you want to get off of his deal, but I don't know who's taking $14 million a year for... What they saw Mason Plumlee do in Denver, which is not everything Mason Plumlee can do with a good point guard, but you've reduced his viability in trade because you don't have a point guard who can use Mason Plumlee either. Right. It's and, it, or, they're in a really tough situation with him. Play. Yeah. So, so Brendan, do you? Uh, let me ask you, man. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts like on Mason's contract? And, and and let me ask you that. I mean, how would it? Is it something that the Nuggets should maybe try and look to move if they could? And would there be any suitors for him? 
Uh, no, there would be no like what? Who would trade for that contract? <laughs> like the backup. What is only two the, years? That's true, but I mean, backup center is the easiest position to fill without dishing out like forty million dollars. <laughs> without dishing out uh, forty million dollars and a and a first round draft pick and another young player on a rookie deal. What? It's easier than doing that. That's very strange. I wonder if anyone told I- Tim Connolly. <laughs> Honestly, man, I think it's Bam. it's like so much easier to attach a pick to like Farid and get off that money. Like, I just don't know because I don't think anyone's going to want multiple years of Plumley on that contract. In other words, to make that deal worth it, the Nuggets would have to give up even more. I feel like than just the pick, or they have to take money back. Yeah, they'd right. have to take money back. They're not getting off of like it. A... Sorry, go ahead. I'm just saying they're not getting off of it. They would be trading Plumley for another guy or using Plumley's no, no, for sure. money for, sure. for a max contract. Like you said, they're not going to be able to do it like they would with Fareed, who's an expiring, where they can maybe put, give a pick and get off the money now and get out of the tax. You're not going to be able to do that yeah. with Mason. Right. So that's why I wonder if it may just like, like it may they're the more realistic move is to try to get off some of the older Carl money and just eat this Mason contract for three years. I mean, ideally you'd like to get off of it. And I, I mean, sure it's possible, but like, I, I, I wouldn't look at that deal. And I just think it's hard to imagine a scenario in which they're able to make a favorable trade and, and move off of Plumlee. So, um, what about, but I mean, as long as it's sitting there, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, because you're right, it is hard to make a favorable trade um, for for Mason Plumlee. Is there an interest, though, in maybe uh, trying to just should the, I wonder, if should the Nuggets just try and fill one of their holes? They have, so they're going to have a glaring hole, likely at small forward position, right? Um, yeah. Why not, why not try, could you maybe trade Mason Plumlee to one of his former teams, either the Brooklyn Nets or the Portland Trailblazers, and either take a guy like Alan Crabb or Mo Harkless back, right? Like, that's almost like what I think they would have to do if they were to trade him. It's like, yeah, you're going to have to take back a similar uh, <laughs> poor contract, but maybe it's worth it if you get it, for, if you get like a wing, an actual wing player, which is something you need. Like, if you're going to have to pay the price, right? Like, at least pay it for, for a position um, that you're actually, you're actually short on. Because like you guys pointed out, I mean, we got... You have Paul Millsap and Trey Lyles who can play uh, small ball. You could also, if you couldn't get off Kenneth Fareed, there you go. There's your small ball uh, backup center as well. So it's, I don't know. Mason's a tough one. Well, and that's what, the, that's one. what I would assume they're going to try to do, man. Like that's because they didn't offer him the QO. Because what I assumed they were going to do last offseason, the whole reason you traded the first round pick was so you could hardball Plumley and say, take the QO or take like $8 million a year. We don't really care which one you do, but if you take the QO, understand we're going to play you like 12 minutes a game, and you're not getting a contract, you know. But they, the Nuggets, weren't willing to do that. And I mean, those are those are assholery things to do. But that was the point of sending the first round pick to Portland was so you could be a jerk to Mason Plumlee and get him to play for less money, so you could fit everything in. Right. Uh, so by by opening the vault doors for Mason Plumlee after you gave up all the stuff. It, it makes no sense to me. You might as well just have waited for him to hit the open market because Portland wasn't going to have the money to pay him anyway. Yeah. yeah that's so right. it's those sorts of mistakes that, that hurt you so bad when you're trying to build what the Nuggets are trying to build, which is a contender that doesn't pay too much tax. Well, I'll, I mean, it's funny because if they lose Barton or if this Jokic thing gets away from them somehow, which would be their own fault, it's the Plumley contract, right? That's the original sin. 
And right. it's it's wild if that's going to be what prevents this team from turning the necessary corners in the next two to three years. Well, and it may be why you can't pay Barton. It may be why you may have to right. give up an extra draft pick that could turn into the next Donovan Mitchell to get off of Fareed. Like, right. I mean, right. these, these are the things that hurt you when you're building a contender are missing on these very vital um, roster construction moments where who do you pay, what picks do you keep? Like, these are the big deals. Adding talent is not something that the Nuggets have had trouble with. They have added a lot of talent. They're, they've done way better than most people would have done from their draft positions or from what they were left with. But they have this issue um, with creating the create the correct roster balance. Like you said, we have the, the small forward situation for the Denver is is rough. Um you've got you know, still have like seven forwards because nobody got moved. <laughs> you drafted extra forwards. Like there's you're in this weird situation. You have no backup point guard. You drafted one, but he played basically no minutes for you because the game the, you know, it was a one game playoff there at the end basically to get into the playoffs. And so there was no time. If the Nuggets had been out of the playoffs and eliminated three or four games early, maybe you can see what Monte Morris can do playing on the court, you know, with all your guys, and you can take a look and say, oh, yeah, maybe this guy can play back up point guard. But again, right now, they have no idea. And they have no idea because they're trapped in the middle, which is the worst place to be. You never want to be in the 14th spot in the NBA, you know, in the last last out. Um of the playoffs multiple years in a row. That's a terrible, terrible spot, and it makes it very hard for right. you to grow. Right. Yeah. All right, absolutely. well, I'll tell you what. And it's why I'm going to have to... Oh, I was going to cut you off there. After you, Brendan. No, I was I was just, I was going to say we got to go to break. So uh, uh, if you want, I'll get in, get in your, your parting shot right here. No parting shot from Brendan? Is that, is that what I'm here to understand? All right, too late. Um, we are, <laughs> we are, we are going to go to break, and then we will be right back. We've all been there. When the budget's the tightest or a time is the shortest, that's when disaster strikes. The last thing anyone wants to deal with in these times is an electrical issue in their home or business. Maybe your light suddenly won't turn on. Or maybe a home inspector wants that electrical service changed before you can close out on a property you're selling. Heck, maybe it's not even an emergency at all and you're just looking to finish out your basement or get some power ran to that new AC unit. Whatever your need may be, give Sun Electrical a call. They're a family-owned and operated business that serves the front range and you can be assured that you'll not only get the highest quality service, but you'll also get the most affordable price as well. Mike, the owner of Sun Electrical, will come to your home or business personally to evaluate your situation and provide a free estimate. And he stands by the work Sun performs as a fully licensed and insured electrical contractor. So give him a call, 719-659-6888. Don't be fooled by the phone number as they'll serve the entire front range from Colorado Springs to Fort Collins and everywhere in between. That's 719-659-6888. 719-659-6888. Sun Electrical, the home of truly affordable electrical work.
Alright everybody, welcome back in to the Pickaxe Pundit Show. My name is Zach Bikash. We are here with Gordon Gross, Brendan Vote, not Vajete. That's only when he's that's only when he's in the clubs trying to impress the ladies. Um, in downtown. Uh, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> it's that's Los Angeles Brendan, is what that is. Uh, out here in here in Colorado we just call him Vote. Uh, we, so we, we spent the first half of our, our show, uh, talking about, um, talking about the, the bench duo of Will Barton and Mason Plumley and what they did, um, over the season. Now we are going to shift gears, head into a little bit of a regular general NBA talk, and we are going to start with just yesterday, the news comes down, Dwayne Casey, um, uh, is fired from the Toronto Raptors. He, uh, after after getting swept by LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers in the very first round. Um, Gordon, what, what what are your thoughts on on the firing of Dwayne Casey? I uh, it's so tough with with Dwayne, man. Like, is he a good coach? He's absolutely a good coach. Did he get the most out of the roster? He absolutely got the most out of the roster. Is that a firing offense? It might be. Like, because he's shown that this is everything that he's going to get from them, and it's still not enough to even get to the um, the East Finals. And trust me, the East is not as good as the West. Um, if you can't get to the East Finals, you definitely can't win a championship. And if you're going to pay a ton of money for your... Um, for your team, then you probably want to compete. The Raptors want to compete. Masai can't get off of some of these contracts he paid for. And so the sacrificial lamb is going to be Dwayne Casey. Like, that's how this works in the NBA, is the guy that can be replaced first and cheapest is the coach. And if you can't turn your, your pieces around, then you have to find somebody else who can maybe do something different with them. Uh, because they've gone as far as, as Casey can take them. And I don't know, it's not his fault. This is the same problem that the Nuggets ran into with Malone, or rather with uh, with George Carl. Was is that Freudian slip? That George was a great regular season coach, and then people said, "You know what? We're going to take away that one thing you do really well in the regular season." And George said, "Well, I have no other options. This is it. That's all I knew how to do. We're toast." Yep. And that's essentially what happened to Dwayne Casey again, second year in a row. That, and, and that's not accounting their other playoff failures either. That. Toronto has this problem when the games get serious and when guys game plan for them, you know, building a deep team is not necessarily helpful. Toronto is very deep, but you don't run deep teams in the playoffs. You've got plenty of rest days. You have plenty of, um, uh, you've, you've got to maximize your, your talent. Time. And so you go shorter rotations. So right. you can't build teams the way that Toronto's built them and be successful in the playoffs at least not the way that Casey coaches and not the way that Carl coached. So I don't I feel bad for him for getting fired. He's gonna be a great coach for somebody else, but I don't know what other move you make if you're Toronto. Brendan, what about you, man? What are your thoughts on Dwayne Casey getting fired? i I this reminds me a lot of a college firing. This reminds me of Les Miles, right? Because he can't beat Nick Saban. Except instead of an opposing coach, it's LeBron James. That is uh unfair, obviously. Um but at the end of the day, I understand why they're at like at a certain point, it's really easy to whip out the definition of insanity take here, but that's because it's apt. 
I mean, how many times are you just going to bash your heads against the same wall and fall short? You got to change some things right. up. I mean, I don't think changing the head coach is going to be the difference, right? If LeBron were to be, uh, no, I don't think it'll matter either. Yeah, <laughs> right. But but I but I don't blame them for doing it. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, uh, so that's sort of where I'm like, I look at it as that college firing. And, you know, the other thing with Casey is good for him. And the Raptors have been a phenomenal regular season team. But I don't know how much credit are we giving a guy for figuring out that his team should play differently, like two to three years too late. Uh, so I don't, you know, the, I don't hold the LeBron losses over his head. But I also think we got away from ourselves with this Casey praise for the evolution of the Raptors. I mean, that, that was three years past due, in my opinion. No, I, I agree with you on that. Like, there, the idea that that Casey is some sort of, like, mad genius um, <laughs> for looking at his roster and being like, hey, you know what our guys can do best? Maybe I should focus on that. You know, that's, right. yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. But still, I mean, he's a good coach. Everybody adores him. Managing people is an important skill. Managing expectations is a good skill. Like, it, he's a player's coach. Guys really enjoy him, even when they fight with him, which is... A useful skill to have, you know. Uh, he's not the greatest X's and O's guys I've ever seen, but honestly, very few X and O guys tend to make it work as head coaches. Um, right. It looks like Stevens is going to be one of those exceptions over there in uh, with the Celtics, but he's also a player's right. coach. Like some guys just have right. both. And so much, I think I agree with you. So much of coaching goes beyond the X's and O stuff. And I think most coaches who have a positive impact in this league are actually ultimately relatively limited from the tactical uh, standpoint. I think Michael Malone's a great uh, example, right? You look at the way the Nuggets improved steadily in each of his years here, the way he cultivated a positive locker room culture, the way the young guys have bought in. And yet, what does every Nugget fan know? There's two to three games he cost them directly with poor tech, you know, um, tactical right. management. And so, you know, I think you're right. I, like, just because Casey might not be the best X's and O's guy doesn't mean he's not a great coach, doesn't mean he can't help teams um, uh, reach their potential. But Brad Stevens is a, a, the type of coach, right, who's clearly busting the ceiling wide open. And so you're looking at all these players who had we thought clearly defined ceilings and collectively he's got them playing at an Eastern conference finals level, despite the injuries. So there's obviously a difference between someone like Casey and Stevens and yet Gordon, it's so easy to say, fire your head coach. It's so hard to find a Brad Stevens to replace him. So, well, yeah, I, um, I, I mean, obviously we would want to find Brad Stevens. If, if you can find one great hire him or her, right. if it's Becky Hammond, like I'm good right. either way. Um, but it's like you said, they're on a ton of them. So the thing with Casey is you're firing a guy who's, you know, top, you know, 25% of the league kind of a coach. So Great. can you do better? Like I, right. the, the Nuggets, you know, fired George Carl and didn't do better. I'm still not sure that they have done better yet. Uh, and the difference between, um, Casey and Carl is that Casey's not a complete tool bag to work for. So that also <laughs> helps. <laughs> to, That's to true. put it like, lightly George, a large part of George Carl being fired was that no one wanted to see his face again that was a very different nobody wanted to see him nobody wanted him in control of anything nobody wanted to hear from him yeah and yeah. now we know why exactly um, I saw some reports Gordon that, that Mike Budenholzer is maybe in the in the works for Toronto yeah I heard those too and again I like I like Coach Bud 
Um, right. I think he's he's very good. I'm not sure how much more he can do for that roster. But I think if you're going to replace Casey, then picking somebody else who's on that level who might just have learned enough at his last job and be ready to implement it is a good idea. He's, you know, Budenholzer's not 60. Right. Right. That's true. But at the same time, I do get how you could look at that and go, the problem was we can't get past LeBron, so let's bring in Mike Budenholzer. You're like, well, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, again, you're hoping that more swings of that pinata is going to help him out. Right. You know, right. I mean, honestly, like that's that's your hope with with somebody like him is that um, you're you're looking for somebody who learned what they needed to by getting waxed by LeBron the first time. You know, this is what the third time that that case has been waxed by LeBron. That That's that's not the same thing. Right. Yeah, that's true. I expected it, to be honest, man. I was not surprised at all that Casey was like a. Uh, no, I, I it's, the, it's the only move you can make. Like the only right. move that you can make right. at at some point when you've maxed out the roster, you have no movable pieces, you can't switch your guys out. Yeah, you're you can either tell your fans, "Well, we're just going to ride this out for two more years until we can get some flexibility," or you can fire your coach. And like, let's not that's, pretend that he was. Let's not pretend that he was perfect either. I mean, yeah, there's no defense no, for no. what LeBron did in Game Two, but I think Jonathan Sharks of the Ringer was one of the first on this, and, and Zach Lowe has echoed the sentiment. They never once tried OG, uh, Siakam, and Ibaka together, right? There were things they could have tried that they never even got to. And, well, and you, know, you can't I don't have understand. that collapse either, man. Like, the game one collapse you cannot have. Like, yeah. you are yeah. an experienced coach. There's, there's just no universe in which um, that guy is allowed to have your team collapse, just utterly and abominably collapse, you know, the way that the Nuggets did every three weeks. You, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you you can't as a veteran playoff coach do that. Like that's one of the reasons I wanted to make the playoffs for the Nuggets was for them to get the experience of being out coached over the course and and outmanned really over the course of a few games and figure out what you need to know. Um, right. But right. But you know, Dwayne Casey, he should already know what he doesn't know. Like he's got to have it by now. He's been in the playoffs and and you know with a decent seed for. A while, and that's one thing that Carl didn't have was he didn't tend to blow a lot of, um, you know, one eight two seven kind of matchups. Seattle aside, with the Nuggets, he didn't have the opportunity to blow those. Um, right. You know, and and Casey just uh, he ran out of chances. Like this was it. He had to get past Cleveland. Everything was set up, and it's not just that it was like you lost in a brutal seven game contest for the ages. You got waxed. Like, right. it wasn't even a gentleman sweep. Like, they just picked it up and just brushed you off. Uh, yeah. And that's I really mean, all you can do. It was like they got swept off the face of the earth, man. That's about as oh, embarrassing yeah. a loss as a one seed will face. So, yeah, I think unless, no. uh, you know, unless it's the move to, to Mike um, from Atlanta, I'm just wondering, I'm going to stick with my LSU analogy here. Like, I hear you. Les Miles couldn't beat Saban. But, like, what happened when they brought Ed Orgeron on and, like, they weren't much better. So <laughs> right. I feel like that's probably no, no. going to happen to Toronto. I agree. Um, your hope is that you can get um, the, the right next guy and for the next iteration of the Raptors. The problem is I yep. think they've taken this iteration as far as they can take it. Um, and so right now you're going to let uh, him get his feet under him uh, with a real roster. You can get a feel of what he needs for his players. You can start turning the roster over as contracts run out. Uh, and so – Coach Bud is a is a pick for three years from now, really, and you just hope yeah. he can keep up and keep you in the playoffs for the next couple of years. I, so it looks and like I hate to say uh, that you're folding up shop, but yeah, that that seems like it. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. Okay, so it looks like we've lost our esteemed host here for a little bit here, Gordon. So we'll we'll ride this out together here. We got about five minutes. You want to preview some conference final action with me? Sure. Yeah. What do you want to hit? Let's hit the West first because it's more interesting anyway. Yes. Agreed. Okay. I'll just ask you flat out, man. Does Houston have a chance in your mind? Um, I'm going thirty percent. Uh, Ooh, that's I pretty think they high. Have, I know. I I am I am decently confident, despite the fact that. Um, paper bags have outcoached um, Pringles in the playoffs before. <laughs> uh, I, I am decently confident that uh, CP3 can hold it down, and Harden is basically going supernova. So if he's going to go super cyan all over the place, then I think they got a shot. I think it's almost somehow been under discussed, like what an X factor Chris Paul is in this series, um, and how different Houston is. When you get to this level, the Final Four level versus previous years, because Chris Paul's there. absolutely, yep, yeah, it's and so I'm sort and when of people people at hanging him. this on him. People that this thing about how he can't get to the finals and he can't get anywhere. I'm like Chris Paul is an unbelievably great leader, an unbelievably great player, and has been unbelievably great in the playoffs. Right, he just and needed the right this, team. Exactly, and even at this age, man, I mean, this is like a very, very strong 1B to an MVP caliber 1A, right? I mean, it's oh, not yeah. like Chris Paul is. I. It's almost like a, a I would say it's probably a smaller uh, margin between them than like Braun and Wade back in the Miami days, um, just in terms um, of disparity between those two, not not aggregate talent. I just mean from 1A to 1B. Um, probably so. Yeah, and, and so I guess my point is, man, I just – we're like, okay, Houston's a better defensive team, and they're they're longer and they're more switchable on the wing, and all these things are true. But to me, it comes down to Houston has Chris Paul now. So if they're gonna get if they're gonna get like thirty and 10, 40 and ten, like he did in Game Five from Chris Paul, I think they have a real chance. And what right. a phenomenal defensive player he is on a potentially hobbled Steph Curry. So exactly, I'm and and you. and he will help you with he will help your your defense against the uh, you know their ball handler. He will he can keep you in the game, but really for me, it's good. Uh, the game is going to come down to who can execute their shots more. I don't you can't mm-hmm. bet against Steph Curry because the man can hit from the moon. Um, you but again, Harden has been insane. So yeah, I give them a straight up thirty percent or so. Like I think they've got a legit shot at this um, against the Warriors, and the Warriors is one of the greatest teams ever created. You know that's going to be amazing. Yeah. I agree with you. My my one thing, my final note, the reason I think the Warriors are going to win is Draymond Green has been spectacular. And when he's hitting those open threes and when he's performing like this, like if Curry was hobbled and Green was struggling, I thought maybe Houston had a chance, but I'm a little worried given how well Draymond's yep. played. All right, man. Good stuff, brother. Um, I guess Zach's going to do a little outro for us. But as far as the body of the pod, Gordon, good stuff, man. <laughs> well, and we didn't make it to everything because it's me and that never happens. <laughs> that's good man more too much content is a good problem to have exactly well all right man we'll do it again soon and uh right. thanks for hanging talk to you next time bro all right everybody not sure what happened there but brendan vote gordon gross those guys are pros they wrapped it up they're also phenomenal writers i can't say that enough about those two guys so make sure you're checking them out on denverstiffs.com they write there regularly make sure you're following them on twitter gordon's at gmoneynugs Brendan is at BVOGT422. If you want, you can follow me. I'm not nearly as talented of a writer as those two, but I am at Zach Mikosh. Of course, follow at Denver Stiffs for all things Denver Stiffs related and at NBN-Radio for all things nothing but net radio. 
related. Uh, we're also on Instagram at the Denver Stiffs and on Facebook. Give us a follow. Give us a like. If you guys are listening to the podcast version of this show, we would appreciate if you subscribed and left a rating. All right, everybody. We will talk to you next week. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs.